Good morning and welcome to another episode of Stoke Meter. We have the privilege of having Kelsey Jager with us today. How are you this morning, Kelsey? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It is truly a pleasure to have you and and thank you for accepting an invitation from complete strangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that with that being said, Kelsey is she she exudes light, but it it came from a, it it came from a very difficult type of uh, circumstance, and that's what particularly struck me as I was reading her story. Uh, Kelsey is a grief educator and certified life coach. She is also the founder of Rise with Grief, and we'll get into that uh, in a moment and how this came about. Uh, but you know. A grief educator. <laughs> I honestly didn't even realize that uh, that was a thing until I I started to read um, about your story. I'm just wondering what you could tell the audience. What is a what is a grief educator? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, I didn't really know what a grief educator was just a few years ago either. Um, so my husband, um, Colin, and I have four sons, and we're originally from Southern California, and we'd moved to Florida in December of 2019. Um, just kind of, we we had our own business, so it wasn't for a job or anything. We just kind of um, felt like we were supposed to move there, and um, you can call it intuition or the great spirit, whatever you want to call it. I like to say it was God. Um, but we felt, we both felt a deep pull to move to Florida. So we moved here, COVID happened. Um, our two oldest boys were in an accident after we had been here for about nine months. It was in August of 2020. Um, at the time of the accident, our oldest son hit his head and um, had a traumatic brain injury. And then our mm -hmm. other son suffered from broken bones and, you know, lacerations and road rash and all that. So in the emergency room, because my son had hit his head, they did a, a CT scan of his head and they discovered that he had a brain tumor in his right frontal lobe. Wow. So wow. the accident ended up being a blessing in disguise. It was horrible. And um, my other son suffered severe injuries, but in the end, it was a blessing in disguise because my son had no, no symptoms at all of having a brain tumor. So they're both rushed off to surgery, you know, go through that ended up the neurosurgeon was able to get the entire brain tumor, which was such a blessing. Mm -hmm. And it was benign, which was a huge relief, obviously. So fast forward five, four months, the boys are going through rehab and we're slowly starting to get back into life after this, you know, earth shattering thing happens right. out of the blue. So fast forward four months, we're in January of 2021 and my husband falls ill. He's not feeling good. Um, he's having some chest pain, different than like or chest pain, but he just was fevers, went to the doctor. Um, he was admitted to the hospital a week later after lots and lots of tests. They didn't know what was wrong with him. It was discovered that he had aggressive leukemia, a blood cancer. Mm. So this was just four months after 
the other thing. So I was like a mess. I still had PTSD from the accident, from my son's brain tumor. We're in Florida. It's in the middle of COVID. We have no family here. No one can travel here because of COVID. And it was a really dark, dark, dark time. I fell into like this best way I could describe it. There's really no words to describe it, but the best way I could describe it was this deep abyss and I saw no light and I was just basically having a nervous breakdown and constant panic attacks. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't function. And my husband's in the hospital. His mother was able to come out and help me with him there because I couldn't, I was at the hospital as much as I could be, but there were times when I just couldn't even get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And so my kids, it really, my turning point, and I've told this story before, but really the t- turning point for me was my children. We have four sons and my kids, of course, don't know what's going on really. They know dad has cancer. They know he's in the hospital. Um, they can't see him because it's COVID. They can't go to the hospital. And all they can see is their mom, who's normally, I'd like to say that I'm a strong person and I take things in stride. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I wasn't. Uh, they see their mom, who's completely broken and in bed and not functioning. I was literally like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And we could see the fear in their eyes. And I told myself, like, you have, I don't care what you have to do, but these kids, cannot lose both parents. Like you have got to pull yourself out of this. So I did. And, um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but the way I did it was I started looking for the light. Like I said, I was in this deep, dark abyss and I saw no light, only darkness. And it was hard to see the light, but it was there. And it was always there, but I was choosing to focus on the darkness and not choosing to focus on the light. And so I couldn't see it. And your brain is interesting. Your brain will, will find evidence of whatever you tell it. So I was telling myself, I was playing the victim. You know, I was the victim in the story. Oh my gosh, all these things are happening to me. How could all these things happen to me? My kids, we move across the country and then COVID happens. And then our kids get in an accident. My son has a brain tumor. And now my husband is sick with a very poor diagnosis. Like, mm-hmm. woe is me. And I was totally valid in feeling that. But that mindset was not serving me. Mm-hmm. So I, what I did is I rewrote myself in the story from being the victim to the hero. And the way I did that was looking for the light. How many heroes do you know that have no struggles? zero that's what makes a hero right is overcoming a struggle climbing the mountain and getting to the top so that's really what i did is i started looking for the light and i started focusing on the blessing and focusing on all the miracles and there were so many miracles that didn't mean bad things weren't happening and tragedies weren't happening because they were but that's not what i chose to focus on Mm-hmm. I chose to focus on the good and the light. And the more light I saw, the more light I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I appreciate about that answer is just because you choose to be the hero 
and not the victim. Uh, there was one particular video I saw where you're you had you were just you had just lost it, <laughs> just utterly crying and such. And being a hero doesn't mean not being not being impenetrable. It means you're you're allowing yourself to be sad. You're allowing yourself to feel this range of emotions, but you don't dwell on it. And seeing those those videos and and hearing you here right now. It's it's apparent that part of the strength is allowing yourself to be sad or what others might perceive to be weak. And it's irrelevant at that point what others think. Uh, it's what you're feeling and what your 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 active choice is, for lack of a better word. But it it, it really is. I, I love that analogy of 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 not focusing on the dark, going toward the light. You always hear that, uh, you hear that saying that um, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, it's not a matter of that you were in denial of, I mean, you, you really were a victim. At some point you were. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time is you, you chose on what you could focus on that would serve you. I love that phrase, serve you. Um, my, uh, my wife served a church mission in Italy, and that's a phrase that the Italians use all the time. Like, if they don't like something, they say, that, that doesn't serve me. And I think sometimes, you know, we forget that we have to be proactive about what it is that serves us and what doesn't, and be very proactive about getting rid of the things that don't. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. You know, life, we can't choose our circumstances. And do I like what happened? Absolutely not. Is it unfair? Yes. Like, could if I could change it, would I? 100%. Yep. But I can't. Like, mm-hmm. it is what it is. We don't get to always change our circumstances. We do get to choose yeah. how we react to them. And yeah. the way you react to them and your perspective is everything. And that shapes your, your experience. Yeah. Yep. Yep. How do you so I could choose to be sad and cry and woe is me, which yes, Mo, to your point, I do do that. Yeah. And I still do that. I have good days and I have bad days. And some people may view that as being weak, but in reality, that's being vulnerable mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to feel those emotions are actually a, si- a sign of strength. Yeah. And it's also, we are human. That's part of our humanity. And I like to think of it as our most gentle and tender part of us. I would agree with you 100%. The most amazing leaders that I've seen in corporations, the most amazing leaders I've seen religiously or wherever it might be, are the ones that allow themselves to be vulnerable because that makes them approachable and makes it so that they're, they're relatable and in in essence, they, they become an inspiration to all them all around them. I mean, I look at Gary. Gary is he won't he won't say anything, but he's a leader, and uh, at, at his organization. But you would never know it. The, the guy is the nicest individual you'll ever meet. But uh, again, that vulnerability is what makes it so relatable. And I'm there's a question that I'd like to ask, and that is how do you help? others um in your coaching to accept that vulnerability you guys i mean that's a that's a heavy burden and, and the only reason i say that is 
in, in the last little bit here, there have been a couple of friends that, that have been lost here. And literally it was very sudden. And mm-hmm. it's as if everyone's putting up a, the, the, the temptation is put up that front, but how do you, how do you get them past that vulnerability? And the, the second part of that question is after that vulnerability, how do you get them out of that, uh, the dark place? Cause that's an easy place to stick for a long 100%. time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a loaded question, <laughs> but I will, I will answer it in a nutshell as best as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, first I got into this because the grieving process for me started back really, um, grief, grief is not just for death, right? We, we grieve anything that we lose. I, mm-hmm. I grieved when we moved from California to Florida, like, mm-hmm. even though I wanted to move and it was a great move and, and it was what we were supposed to do. I still grieved the loss of my life there, the friends and family I was leaving behind, like my lifestyle there. Um, and then I grieved when my sons got in their accident. And then I really grieved when my husband was diagnosed with this horrible disease. Yeah. Um, so I was really searching for help for me. And I couldn't find exactly what I needed. And I realized, geez, we really live in a grief illiterate society. And it's not really, it's not really our fault per se. It's cultural. It's like what you say, how you said we have to almost like put on a front, like, oh, I'm okay. Like I can't show that I'm struggling or I'm sad. And then when, so I started researching and reading consuming grief books way, you know, years ago when this started happening, because I'm very much a DIY person in all things. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to get outside help for this, but I couldn't find mm-hmm. exactly what I needed. So I was like, well, if I can't, that's just my personality. I'm like, well, no one can do it as good as me. So <laughs> I, so I DIY my own mental health and, um, So I really dove in, consumed all kinds of, like I said, grief books, research, all the things. And then after my husband passed away, then like was even at another level. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I was so, just felt so broken. Yeah. And um, I did get some outside help, professional help um, from a therapist and she was great. I love her. Um, But she wasn't she had never experienced grief mm-hmm. of my magnitude. And so like, she helped me to a certain point, but then like, she, I just felt like I was hitting a plateau and I just felt, mm-hmm. and that's when I found life coaching and mm-hmm. it was so transforming for me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I kind of like, just took my life coach. And so then I got certified as a life coach, yeah. not to coach people, but just for myself. Yeah. And then after I did that, I was like, you know, I just felt this pull, like, I think that I should be a life coach. I think I can help people. And at that point, I still hadn't even connected the dots to being a grief coach. I was like, well, what am I going to like coach on? What's my niche? And I'm really into fitness and health. And I'm like, maybe yeah. I can do fitness and health. And I was like, no. And then literally like hit me out of the blue, like, hello, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. 
anxious. And then I was like, oh, and it was like this whole like, you know, it's like perspective is like zoomed in. I was like, oh yeah, I, okay, yes. And at that point I had already had quite a following on social media um, just because I had been sharing our story and I had been helping people through messages and comments just organically. And, and I was like, oh, there's such a need for this. Like yeah. there's so many people that are hurting that wouldn't, can't find the help because the resources, the resources are there, but they're not necessarily like put in this nice, neat, organized, attainable yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, I should do this. And so that's how Rise with Grief was was born. Um, and to answer the other part of your question, how I coach people is I, I do 12, like I sell packages of 12 weeks. So mm. I sell a package of 12 weeks of one-on-one -on -one coaching, or I have a 12-week group coaching um, program and a it's a lot of grief education, basically curating all the information that I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours consuming. Yeah. And I've like condensed it down to the best nuggets. Yeah. Um, and then it's teaching them this, the tools and coping skills of how to feel their emotions, right. how to deal with that. Because in grief, you can't escape the pain. Like mm -hmm. pain is there. It's inevitable. That is, that is, there's no magic pill you can take. Yeah. But the suffering is optional mm -hmm. and the suffering is what our mind does to us. Yeah. And so that's what I teach them. I teach them really how to understand first what's happening mm -hmm. and to learn to deal with those big emotions and how to feel them and work through them and and also our emotions live in our body so i also teach them how to find where they live in their body and release them from their body and then once you release them from your body your mind follows your mind settles down mm -hmm. and it follows and it's process like grief is a lifelong journey it's not something that you suddenly get over yep but we can learn how to integrate it and we learn how to deal with it and we learn how to carry it with us. And by doing that, we carry our loved one with us and, and we honor their memory and we continue a relationship with them. Because with death, I don't believe a relationship dies. I don't believe love dies. Our love doesn't end for them and their love doesn't end for us. Mm -hmm. So we learn how to, I teach them how to carry it and move forward with grief, not move on, but move forward. Man, that's that's a fantastic answer. I didn't realize it was going to, I get a that that good uh, volume <laughs> right there. Thank I you. told you it was a loaded question. Well, it's it was a great answer as well. Thank you. <laughs> but um, Gary, I don't want to take uh, again. You, you go ahead and whatever oh, uh, it was. Yeah. I wanted to get your perspective on something, Kelsey, and I I think this really does tie into grief. But I'd I'd like to get your view on it. If I say the the term resiliency. What does that mean to you? What is how does that factor into grief and handling grief? I don't know. I think yeah. many times in our life is it's not just a matter of you know an, a, an event that happens. You know, like I can I can lose my car keys one day and it's no big deal, and then I can lose my car keys another day, and because of all these other little things, I just can't bounce back. 
and I get mm -hmm. drunk down. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. Do you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying where we can't choose our circumstances always, but we can choose how we react mm -hmm. and being resilient is, I don't want to say rolling with the punches because but it, it kind of is rolling with the punches and it's learning to accept what is and accept your reality and accepting in grief does not mean being okay with the loss. Yeah. It absolutely does not mean that. It just means that you accept what is and you learn to integrate it to your life and you accept the duality of grief. Grief is not just sadness. Like you can be grieving and be in pain and hurting and have so much sorrow. You can hold that in one hand. And in the other hand, you can hold joy and happiness and love. Those feelings are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You will always have an ache. You will always have that space in your heart for your loved one that is no longer physically here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have a beautiful life. It doesn't mean that your best days are behind you. And so to answer your question, Gary, being flexible is having that mindset, mm -hmm. that growth mindset, whereas things aren't necessarily happening to me, but they're happening for me. Yep. 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 That's, that's a great perspective happening for, for you. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to think of it when you're coming up from a victim aspect. It's, so hard. it's yeah. so hard. I can sit here and like, be like, Oh, you know, talk like it's so easy. I'll be the first one to say it is, this is the hardest thing I have ever done ever. Right. And, and I'm still a work in progress. I don't have everything figured out. I am still on this journey, Yeah, but compared to how I was a year ago, yes. two years ago with my kids, you know, I was dealing with this stuff with my kids. I have come like leaps and bounds. And so I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm excited to see how much progress I'm going to make in the future. Yeah. The sky's oh. the limit. Yeah. I love that. I can't help but feel amped for you when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so there, a thought came to mind as well. And that is um, in these, in, in these recent friends losses, right? It's always interesting to see how people approach approaching the the person of loss. Uh, like for instance, I'm so sorry. I'm this. I'm that. Right. And even when I was there, it was like, stop saying that, man. <laughs> and so when it came to my turn, I I just go, I did, dear friend. And uh, as I approached, as I approached uh, this friend about the loss. I just said, this straight up sucks and I'm not going to yeah. sugarcoat it. Um, and I, I don't know what you need from me, but you better freaking call me, man. Uh, that, that kind of thing. But I'm just, yeah. I'm just wondering what is it then that would be best for a friend to do uh, in order to, uh, in order to be there for the individual? I mean, what should the, what should the language be? And especially since this is relatively fresh for you on a on a different on a couple of different instances with your child and your husband. Uh, mm -hmm. Just interested in hearing what your thought is. That's a great question. Um, 
like I said, we live in a grief illiterate society. So people mm-hmm. do not know what to say. Yeah. And a lot of times people are very uncomfortable in bringing it up and talking about it to the griever. And yeah. so they just say things like, I'm sorry, or they say platitudes of like, they're in a better place or things mm-hmm. that start with at least. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say at least, just stop. Don't finish yeah. the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the best thing you can do first, know that there's nothing you can say to make them feel better. Yeah. Like it, there's just, there just isn't like, as you said, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. earth shattering and it's devastating. Like beyond words can even describe right. It sucks. So acknowledging that it sucks and not trying to sugarcoat it or try to find a silver lining of at least, or they're in a better place, or, you know, God had a, God has a plan, you know, all these things. Like, I'm like, no, no, I believe that God takes things that happen like this and creates a plan from there. But did not give my husband leukemia. I am sorry. Like he did not like we live in a fallen world and with sickness and illness and death is part of life. He did not need him more than me and my, our four sons need him here. I am sorry. I'm just not accepting of that. Yeah. So don't say that. (laughs) But what you can do is just be there for them. You know, just be there in the sense that you can just sit with them and they don't need to even say anything just so they know you're there. And a lot of times you have a lot of people coming out in the beginning, right after the death and everyone's, please let me tell you how they can help. And you're like, oh, thank you. You know, but you don't know what Mm -hmm. to do that, what you need. Like you don't barely even know what, like day it is you don't know you barely even know what your name is like mm-hmm. that puts the the responsibility back on the griever like mm-hmm. tell me what i can do to help you oh, and i totally wow. understand why people say that because they don't know what to do yeah so i'm not faulting them at all but just show up just like mow their lawn clean their house look up their kids like just show up bring them food, like just be there. And then, like I said, you know, there's a lot of help in the beginning and then thing, everybody goes, you know, you have the celebration of life or the funeral, whatever you want to call it. And then everybody goes back to their own lives and your life is forever changed. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the best time is to come in and check on people and be like, and also a big thing is the anniversaries, the wedding anniversaries, yeah. the birthdays, the death anniversaries, things people don't think about are so hard for us grievers. Those are heart-wrenching days. Mm-hmm. And so just remembering those days. And one more point I want to make is sometimes people are afraid to bring up their loved one because mm-hmm. so let me rephrase this sometimes people on the outside so for example in my instance people are not everybody but some people are afraid to bring up call in my husband's name because mm-hmm. they think they're gonna like upset me or 
remind me somehow that he's dead. I'm like, mm, trust me, there's not a second that goes by that I don't remember he's not dead. Like, I remember there's nothing you're going to say that's going to remind me. But when they tell me, when they bring up his name or they bring up a memory or they say, um, like I had a friend that taught his um, Sunday school class in church and he's like, I taught my lesson on Colin and I used him as an example. And that was so touching for me. Like, yes, his life mattered and it still matters. And if you tell me a memory that you and him had that I wasn't aware of to have any new memories with him. So that's such a gift. I have a new memory. So don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to let them know you're there and to talk about their loved one. Yeah, I think there's part of it too. Um, when I look back at uh, people that are friends of mine that have gone through some difficult times or grief or whatever is, I think it's also important to realize that that doesn't completely define them. Yeah. So I think at some times you also have to remember that they still are themselves and it, yes. that event doesn't define them. So, you know, if I were friends with Kelsey before, like, yeah, Kelsey went through some really hard stuff, but that doesn't define who you are. Yeah. I right. think part of it is, is continue to be the friends you were before. Yeah. Regardless yes. of the situation, you know, some people just want a little bit of normalcy back in their life and they want someone to be like, you know, if, if I had a, I can only imagine that if I had a really traumatic experience and then the, the Maurice that I'm used to and that I know and love is every time he sees me, it's, it's, he's just like, Hey man, I don't know what I'm, I'm it's all about this event. I'm like, yes, I just, I just need Maurice. Yes. That is great advice. And we have, in, in grief, we have the primary loss, which is the main loss. And then we have countless and, and I mean, endless secondary losses. And some of them show up right away and some of them don't show up till years later. And some of those are relationships. We lose relationships and sometimes people are, aren't there for us that we thought would be there. And sometimes people are there that you didn't think would be. And there are secondary gains. Mm -hmm. So there, there are secondary gains and, and secondary losses. And yes, that to, to emphasize your point, Gary, that is so true. Grief is part of me now, Like I am forever changed by it, but it doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, that's not who I am. Yeah. 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 Man, this is, this, this talk or this this interview has made me think very deeply <laughs> and, and the different things that I appreciate. And one of the things that uh, has been brought up multiple times is the power of friends, the power of those close to you. And that leads me to another question because I, I remember again, reading about your husband and as the diagnosis and came about and your kids were still recovering. I wrote a, I read something about Rosaria Artiega. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that friend took action. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. She's You're, amazing. And I'm just wondering, what can you tell me about what she did and what impact that had on you? And 
what are the lessons that uh, you learn from that and that you would convey to those lessons to anyone else that you're speaking with? Yeah. So first of all, I would say Rosario is amazing and we are so blessed to live where we live. And like I said, we just felt kind of this pull. We had no plans to leave Southern California. Like our family was there. All our kids were born there. We were born there. Like it was our home, but we felt this kind of pull out of nowhere. And it really, you know, hindsight's 2020. It was such a blessing and it really was God's hand. We were supposed to move where we live. The community aspect is incredible. Not that we didn't have great support in California. We did, but the outreach of strangers and neighbors is like something I've never, ever experienced or seen before. So Rosario is one of my good friends. Um, when we moved here, our, my youngest son and her oldest son were in the same place together. I think he was in second grade. And, um, so we became friends that way. And when Colin got sick, she was like, I, you know, like everybody else, like, what can I do to help? I want to help you. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I barely, I'm drowning. I'm barely keeping my head above water. Like I have no idea what, so she took action and she was like, can I plan a race in his honor lace up for Colin? And I was like, um, okay yeah and she I'm like I can't like help you with that and she's like no 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 absolutely don't want you to help she's like I just she's like you don't even need to show up if you can't she's like I just need your permission to do it and I'm like yeah absolutely so she organized this 5k in our community and we had we had it two years in a row. We had it in 2021, the first year he was diagnosed. And then we had it again in 2022 and 2022 was even bigger than the first year. And it was amazing to, when we were able to attend both races, but it was amazing to see the community come together as neighbors and as a supportive unit, people that we didn't even know. And just to be there to be like, we've got your back. We're here for you. And it was incredible. That is the light. You know, there were so many things like that, where there's just this, just huge beams of light yeah. um, in our experience that, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. And I still sometimes see people around around town wearing the lace up for Colin shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That I love hearing stuff like that. What a fantastic reminder of the kindness of others as well, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's one thing that I learned through this is yeah, we hear, you know, in the news about all this hate mm -hmm. and just darkness. Yeah. in humanity. Yep. But through this, I was like, oh my gosh, there is a lot of dark, but there is more good. Yeah. There are more good people than there are, I don't want to say bad people, but just, yeah. you know, dark, darkness. Like there's more light than darkness. Yeah. And that is one lesson that I learned from this that will forever change my perspective. I'm just like, people are good. So good. I, I think that also gets missed sometimes too is 
by focusing on the light, you can, it's not that you're ignoring the darkness. In fact, many ways by living in light, um, you're able to put light on the darkness. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> but I think sometimes we forget that, you know, well, if I'm just focusing on the light, then that means I'm neglecting the, 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 the bad things in the world. Right. But it actually gives to me by focusing on the light, it, you know, the way you're using it is it gives me additional bandwidth to help. 100%. In the dark. 100%. Because if I just focused on the darkness, like I was in the beginning, I told you guys, I couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. yep. Like I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help my children. I couldn't help my husband. I couldn't help anybody. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 100%. Focusing on the light does not mean that you ignore the darkness. Um, The darkness that I was in, the things that we experienced, the suffering that my husband endured, there's no way. That yeah. I could have ignored that. Yeah. But it gave me the strength and the bandwidth, like you said, to deal with that. Yeah. 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 Man, this has been an incredibly, again, educational discussion. Uh it I feel I feel inspired by it, uh, but also gained a lot of understanding from your from your point of view. And I I thank you. Uh, big time on that. <laughs> so you are so welcome. How do people reach your reach you, Kelsey? What's the best yes. way? Um, so that's a good question. I have a website, risewithgrief.com. They can also um, follow me on Facebook, Kelsey Jager. I'm on Facebook under Kelsey Jager. Um, Instagram, um, you could look up Kelsey Jager, but my handle is jager.strong. Yeah, and um, I post a lot of inspirational um, things on there. I also post a lot of things that um, are geared to help grievers, tools, coping tools, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I am just barely getting on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. But I. <laughs> I'm still kind of I'm still kind of learning LinkedIn's. Happy to help on any anything that you'd like. Thank you.